Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzir. I'm Isa. Uh, and this week, we're going to be talking about something a little different. Um, no <laughs> plot-driven things, uh, entirely character-driven, naturalistic, verity, as the French call it, uh, slice-of-life uh, films, uh, such as Nomadland, which is probably going to sweep the Oscars, uh, a couple of days after this episode, you know, is released, um, <laughs> as well as, you know, her previous film, The Rider, which is, in my opinion, a little stronger than Nomadland, but we can debate that a bit later. Yeah. Um, together with, you know, a couple of other similar slice of life as films, uh, naturalistic, humanistic films, um, Hika- uh, Hiro Kazu Koreeda's Shoplifters, mm-hmm. uh, alongside Sean Baker's The Florida Project. Um, I loved all four of his fil- films because, you know, there's a, there's a certain, like, fly-on-the-wall quality to it, uh, a certain organicness and non-contrivance, you know, um, that evokes empathy and compassion through, yep. you know, through depicting the seemingly mundane, you know, but what is our lives but, you know, mostly mundane things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we, we, which is kind of why, like, I was so drawn to these films, despite the fact that there is a certain barrier i feel to liking it you know like yeah um films like this might not be to everyone's um tastes uh me for example um obviously everyone growing up right are drawn to story so you you, you start with plot driven things right mm-hmm. you know i like murder mysteries for example you know when you start off um and then as you as i started to become you know like in, interested in writing i became interested in dialogue you know, because I wanted to write dialogue. So I went for like the Before Sunrises and like the Aaron Sorkins and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think like where I've evolved in my appreciation for cinema or storytelling in general, uh, novels, comics or whatever, is more down to a super grounded, naturalistic uh, slice of life kind of stuff that feels that they almost aren't narrative so much as docu-fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like, like, what about you? Do you like, you know, coming into these films? Like, like, was there a barrier for you to to appreciating this, or was that was is there like a point where you know something clicked for you, or or I, I I don't know what was your like thought process like. I think for these four individual films, definitely there were scenes that um were like aha moments for me, right? Like just like oh mm-hmm. wow, okay, like I mm-hmm. understand the approach they were taking, and I think like Chloe Zhao in particular with the first two films we're going to talk about has yep. this amazing eye for those moments, right? And and we'll we'll delve into those individually as we go along. Um, yeah, but I I my I think my journey was a little different from yours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of um, of course, when a lot of the time when you say slice of life, right? Like to me, slice of life like immediately brings to mind kind of like anime, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like as a particular kind of genre, um, you know. But it took me a long time in in my own anime watching, right, to get to the point whereby like really naturalistic slice of life stuff, like uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. wow, I can't even name. There are there are a couple, and we'll probably do an episode on that. Um, yeah. Where literally nothing happens but everyday life, uh, it took me many years to kind of get to that point, right? Like kind of similar mm-hmm. to you. And I mm-hmm. think with films, it also maybe not um, as much of a, not a, not so much the same trajectory as yours, you know, kind of moving from like story to dialogue and all of that. 
Yeah. Um, but we have covered a fair bit of this. I think like Honeyland was the most recent one that we did. Mm. Um, that Although really... that was an actual documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so like, uh, no stranger to these, but like, it doesn't yeah. make up the large bulk of the things that that I watch, right? But mm. still, uh, thoroughly enjoyed these four films. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely riveting. Uh, despite the fact that uh, by a lot of people's kind of measure, like nothing actually happens, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of Slice of Life is to present, you know, a seemingly arbitrary sequence of events in a character's life. Like, you know, yeah. often it lacks plot development or conflict or exposition. And it, it tends to have an open ending, you know, but like wherein, you know, comes the, comes the, comes the phrase, uh, it's a slice of life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it, it takes a while to, to get to like that, you know, like I would, I would like give an analogy, like, you know, uh, like for me, right? Like when I started like covering music at mm-hmm. first, yeah. you know, like I was into band stuff, like, yeah. you, know, you know, verse chorus structure and stuff like that. Like, and then like I, I, I came to like, like techno became like my thing. Uh-huh. You know, and like, you know, like oftentimes when I first got into techno, like there's nothing happening, you know, it's just like the <laughs> same thing over and over again. And then like, there's a moment where it clicks for you. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like there was a moment when Slash of Life uh, films clicked for me. Like, and I think like going into like French films, like especially the ones from the 60s and 70s, like the Truffaut stuff. Oh. Um, like uh, the French New Wave, they're all like variety films, you know, like the Bicycle Thieves and 400 Blues and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, but it has since gone out of style. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting over the last four or five years, which is when all these films came back, is that I think like there is a new wave, uh, <laughs> a new a new French new wave, uh, in 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 other countries, uh, which, yeah. which I find fascinating. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think that that is actually, right? Like, is it like I mean, obviously Zhao and her current kind of like like stint in the limelight and what she's doing, um, mm-hmm. you know, definitely brings that genre to the kind of like forefront right like this new wave of new wave um, yeah but you know um even then like florida project was a couple of years ago shoplifter was uh what 2018 2017 right these two films mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. what do you think like is the kind of um shift towards a greater prominence of, of slice of life uh, naturalistic films personally i think like in in the 2000s and the early 2010s there was a shift towards making things more complex, you know, and, yeah. and I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a bad thing, right? You think of like stuff like Memento, uh-huh. or you think of um, Charlie Kaufman's films, you know, stuff like that. You know, you try to make your narratives as um, as uh, interwoven. You know, there, there was a, there was a huge slew of like uh, you know Guy Ritchie type films where there are like <laughs> eight different plot lines, you know, coming together, blah blah. blah. Yeah, and I think like they've taken that to the to the zenith, like, to the nth degree. Like you know, the the arms race is unsustainable in terms of you know making a story. So complex to the point where it turns off the viewer. Yeah. Uh, cough, cough, duck. Cough, cough. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but so I, I think like the the best way is just you know strip it back to basics. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. keep it simple with with uh, you know, just mm-hmm. the camera. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and actors or oh, well some non actors in in as we were about to discuss. A lot of non-actors. I mean, like, I, I suppose we should begin with what is currently the Oscar frontrunner, um, as it should be, uh, yes. Chloe Zhao's uh, Nomadland. Um, interestingly, you know, the future director of The Eternals. Um, yeah. Be- <laughs> I, I, I don't know how that's going to work, right? Like, I adore her work. Uh, yeah. I'm very curious to see her first film, um, Songs My Brother Taught Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I haven't, I haven't got that yet. But, like, if yep. they're all in this same vein. I really don't know how 
Eternals is gonna go right, like it, yeah, it such a, a, a far departure from that. I I mm-hmm. feel like with other directors that Marvel has tapped, uh, with that kind of went from indie darling status to to the mm-hmm. big box office stars they are, you kind of can see the link with that. But uh, with with Chloe Chow, I'm not really sure. Yeah, right. Like 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 Taika Waititi and Thor Ragnarok was in was totally Taika Waititi. He didn't change his style at all. Um, yeah. Similarly with Ryan Coogler and Black Panther, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, but with Chloe Zhao, I think she will have to change the style to fit with the MCU formula. I, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like if we get a like naturalistic slice of life Eternals, I I would watch that. But I don't know if the majority of MCU fans would watch that. You know, it, it's just like Kumail Nanjiani in the gym, right? Yeah. Like getting, get, getting his eight back. <laughs> just getting like absolutely ripped, you know, and, and then the struggles of just like uh, royal family life. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Like back to Nomadland, you know, it's yeah. won a, a shit ton of awards. You know, it's won a bunch of BAFTAs, it's won a bunch of SAG awards, Directors Guild awards, uh, in the Indie Spirit awards, um, everywhere, Golden Globes. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it goes without saying that they are the front runners for the Academy Awards, uh, and, and Chloe Zhao might be the first Asian woman, yeah, uh, at least uh, of of Asian descent, uh, to win the Best Director uh, at the Academy Awards, and I wouldn't blame them for it. Like, Personally, like from last year, she probably wouldn't be my choice for best director, but that's mm-hmm. a different argument altogether. Yeah. Nomadland, uh, it follows uh, Fern, played by Frances McDormand, uh, and she is this woman who is struggling after the economic collapse of a company town in rural Nevada where she lives. Um, so, you know, now she has no job, she has no income. She decides to pack her van and set off on the road, exploring a life outside conventional society. Mm-hmm. As a modern day nomad, you know, um, and this film is uh, it's it's devastating, but also very insightful look uh, into that subculture. Yeah, um, it's actually a fictional adaptation of a non-fiction book by Jessica Bruder, you know, mm-hmm. and it uses Fern uh, Francis McDormand's character as a lens uh, through which to view this subculture of travelers, you know, who live out of RVs and cars and and pick up gigs as they move around the country, you know. Yeah. I mean, much like Fern, many of them are near retirement age, but without the option or perhaps inclination to retire, uh, and instead or instead of struggling to sustain what they once had, they've whittled down their needs. You know, they're they're refugees of the last uh, of the last recession from two thousand eight, mm-hmm. uh, and of rising housing costs, of a threadbare safety net, especially in America. And and Chloe Zhao, who also writes the screenplay, like refuses to reduce them merely to buy products of our increasingly callous capitalist system, you know. Yeah. Whether through choice or, or whether through necessity, they've traded career grinds and the lure for, you know, the property ladder or career ladder uh, in, in exchange for a precarious but carefully guarded kind of liberation, you know. One, one is that supported by perhaps, you know, once in a while you package products in an Amazon warehouse or mm-hmm. you, you, you load deeds onto trucks, you know, or stuff like that, you know, yeah. the gig economy. Uh, they are trying to throw off what one of the movement's spokespeople calls the yoke of the tyranny of the dollar. Uh, it's an interesting look into that subculture, you know, and uh, most fascinating of all, most of the nomads played in the film are non-actors. They're, they're actual yeah. real-life nomads, you know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, Chloe Zhao casted for the film, you know. Um, in, in general, uh, what, what, what do you think about how Nomadland was presented uh, and the film itself? Uh, it is a beautifully shot film, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for, off the bat, a beautifully shot film. And I think, like, the cinematography uh, paired with the score are yeah. two of my favourite things. Absolutely favourite things. Uh, the... 
Oh man, I okay, let's not go into comparisons with the writer yet since we haven't talked about it. But mm-hmm. I, I think like we, we have some really, really kind of like standout performances. Yeah. Uh Francis is amazing as Fern. Um mm. there's just so much in her face mm-hmm. uh in kind of every given moment and all these periods of like um quiet contemplation where she's you know kind of on her own and and and, and languishing in this like uh the the isolation of her outsider status, right? Like despite the fact that she's, you know, starting to kind of integrate into into the nomad society, um the, or the commune that she finds. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's just so much there and like Chloe Chow just captures like all of it, right? And it's just kind of brilliant that way. Um, I, I feel especially the conversations that she has with the, the nomads who play the nomads in the film mm-hmm. are fascinating. Absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, I, I think like there's one particular scene with Frankie in particular. Um, just at, at the kind of like the budding stage of their friendship, right? That yeah. is just absolutely riveting right like i replayed that portion just because uh you know the way that it's framed you know and and the way that she's kind of like sharing her story and and, and how mm-hmm. all uh her, her life on the road kind of came to be was just you know, great great stuff like so real right yeah, yeah absolutely right um yeah. you know I, I all of that was really really good i did have a bit of trouble when when david um Stratheim <laughs> comes into the mm-hmm. picture you know uh, part of me is like he's gonna shout like um, Beltawala somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, because like he's so to me, he's so so stuck in that role. Um, from the expense, yeah, yeah, from yeah. the expense. But yeah, all around like great performances. Like looks amazing, sounds great. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's quiet, it's contemplative, and I think like the meta narrative as a whole is so reflective of that kind of lifestyle. Um, that it is very mesmerizing right uh to kind of like have a peek into that because i don't think uh many people who are wa- going to watch this film are going to have anything uh and experience anything close to to kind of what's portrayed here mm, yes yes indeed you know like fern the character is fictitious but the world of nomadland is very real and the stories that the other nomads share are real stories they are they are, they are taken out from you know the book like, by Jessica Bruder in, mm-hmm. in 2017 you know um you know Bob Wells uh one, one of the main characters in the film and in the book is also you know is in the film like. yeah uh and, and he kind of presides over a regular meetup called the rubber tramp rendezvous uh which provides a support system for modern nomads you know mm-hmm. um these are people who have opted out of you know traditional modes of living for for a combination of reasons you know and and yep. you, you will learn about why uh, sooner or later to to free themselves from the shackle of the dollar as they say you know to make the most of a fixed or limited income especially around retirement age you know um it's such a great uh and non-didactic look uh at, at what these people are you know they are yeah. not just homeless you know like mm-hmm. uh, they they are a lot of people say that they're homeless, and I guess to to an extent it's true. Um, Fern says that she's houseless. Yeah. You know, but it's just a different way of life, you know. And and I think at first Fern chooses this way of life, uh, because of a sense of not belonging. You get the sense that you know she has she is a person uh, who's been discarded by society, you know, mm-hmm. by 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 capitalistic America, you know. Um, but she can't just like do this lifestyle out of rebellion. Or, or something like that, you know. In the end, you know, she she does change her mind and and accept uh, the nomad life as a lifestyle of his own that it's fit for her. Yeah. You know, she she die die doesn't want to settle down. You know, and, and some nomads in the end do want to settle down, and that's fine with them. You know, but yeah. it, it it's important for Fern's agency as a person 
uh, to live outside, you know, to live in the margins, uh, you know. And, yeah. and that's what Chloe Zhao does really well. You know, she really depicts communities in the margins mm-hmm. uh, with a sense of authenticity that is very um, potent and cogent. Yeah. Uh, and is uh, chiefly character-driven, uh, you know. And, and Fern is, is our character guide here, but Fern can come to represent you know, a, a bunch of different nomads. Uh, um, well, what a fantastic film. All greatly acted. I think only David um, Strathairn and and Francis McDormand are the only two professional actors in the film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they, they, they are great, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, the real highlight of the film is the non-actors, you know, who, who just give it their all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and which is why a lot of people like to call Nomadland uh, docu-fiction. Uh, and and I, I sort of agree with that. And to a certain extent, the writer is docu-fiction as well, you know, because yeah. it's just like recreating real circumstances in a fictional format. You know? yeah. Um, it, it has the feel of a documentary, but with none of the uh, uh, earnest flatness that, that, that mars even, you know, the most well-meaning documentaries. It has, I think, more in common with breathing, lived-in quality uh, of, of uh, novels, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the, the material has animated something in, in McDormand as well. You know, she, she typically plays very big characters, very <laughs> loud characters, you know, like if you've seen like Three Billboards and yeah. stuff like that, you know. Uh, and, and this is a nice chance for Francis McDormand to showcase that she can do the quiet too. Mm-hmm. You know, there, 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 there was a little worry that Francis, you know, I mean, I, I don't think like, but there has been some complaints so that Francis might have gone down the Al Pacino, who are, you know, big loud performances. Really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, understandable but, given her, her previous roles. Yeah, yeah, you know, but but this this it takes her back to Fargo and and before, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, and, and the radical nonconformity of the character and how she just feels it feels so lived in, you know, uh, the assertive realness of the of the product and and of the actor's determination, like really melts away any any sheen of artifice that the viewer may have to the point where you feel like you're watching a real thing, and mm-hmm. to a large extent, it is, you know, yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah, like I said before, like uh, Swanky's. Swanky is my favorite character, I think, mm. yeah. and it's just kind of like standout, right? Like, what a what an earnest and and well meaning relationship, you know? Like how real that felt, uh, yeah. how how genuine she was with with her her concern for for Fern's character, yeah, and all of that, yeah. and even like um, what's the name of the kid? Like Derek, oh, right? Is it Derek? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a he's a real life guy also. Yeah, the two moments that she has with Derek, right? I'm just like. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you sure these guys are not actors? Because like, you know, like it, it is it is performance in such a different manner, right? Like what you can capture when it's real people kind of like playing themselves, like it's a vast, you know, um, difference. I think, and I, we we can talk a bit a bit, a bit more about that uh, in the writer later on as mm-hmm. well because it's kind of flipped, right? Because the main characters in the writer are also um, non actors or first time actors. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, and we don't have any the writer. We don't have any professional actors, as far as I remember. That that's true. You know, like um, you know, like one final take on on Nomadland, I guess, is that it, it does a good job of not romanticizing the lifestyle. Yeah. So much as giving you a truthful account of it. You know, in uh, yes, it is gorgeous and it is lyrical, and the piano score is great, and there's a, a certain beauty to Americana, the American Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this slice of America that is sort of forgotten amidst the urban sprawl, you know, but I think Chloe Zhao like really 
goes to great lengths and and time to to show us the difficulty of this life you know yeah the, the endless laundromats the cramped bed in the van the cold the possess possessions you leave behind the shitting in a bucket by the side <laughs> of the road you know one of the best uh, lines actually uh, uh we have to handle our own shit is is one of my favorite lines from the movie Absolutely, you know, and that's contrasted with the absolute beautiful cinematography of of the American landscape, like, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost a western in the way that the writer is a western, you. Know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure, yeah. for sure. Like some of the most amazing, uh, landscape views, um, that I've seen recently, honestly. Oh, hundred percent. You know, like any final thoughts on on Nomadland before we before we move on to its uh, companion piece, the writer. Uh, the hype is real. Right, I, 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 I've got all my fingers and toes crossed that she will win because I think she deserves it. Mm. Uh, I, and I think we'll go into a fair bit of an interesting discussion, you know, between like Nomadland, the rider, and the, the key points and what we prefer. Yeah. Uh, but like everything, all the war she's won so far, like I'm super, super stoked uh, for, for her to get uh, Best Picture. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to the rider, it follows uh, a, a a once you know uh, this guy called Brady. He was once a rising star in in the rodeo circuit and a gifted horse trainer. Mm-hmm. This young cowboy named Brady, and and he is warned that his riding days are over after a horse crushes his skull at a rodeo yeah. uh, in a freak accident. Uh, so back home uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation, with little desire or alternatives for a different way of life, Brady. Uh, Brady's sense of inag- in- inadequacy, you know, mounts as he is unable to ride or rodeo. Mm. The essentials of being a cowboy, his identity is stripped. So in an attempt to regain control of his own fate, Brady undertakes a search for a new identity and, and what it means uh, to be a man in the heartland of America. Um, Brady is played by Brady Jandrau. He's a real person. Mm-hmm. This is his story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly his story. It's it's almost a, a, a documentary, a docufiction a presentation of his story. And it's fantastic. Brady as a non-actor carries this film in a, in a way that I, I didn't think possible. Yeah. Um, it is just so fantastic. You know, again, it's it's kind of a a different look at the American West as seen through the eyes of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it fascinates me that of all people, is this is someone from the outside, Chloe Zhao, who's born in Beijing, who's able to <laughs> capture glimpses of America that Americans don't seem to want to talk about, you know. Um, yeah. and, and and that's the, my first impression of the rider. Um, I mean, of course, you know, all the, all the things that I said about Nomadland can be applied to the rider as well. But like, let's begin with your thoughts, uh, since you just recently caught this, right? Yeah, so um, yeah, I mean Chloe Zhao binge obviously uh, recently yep. for this particular episode. Um, Brady completely bowled me over because I was so skeptical in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I do feel like there were points in time that his performance, if we can actually call it that, was a bit uneven, right? Like it did feel a bit forced. He was uncomfortable in front of the camera, but Chloe has this amazing way of like settling people into the lens that Mm -hmm. is at once unnerving to the audience but hypnotic at the same time right and like she plays into this fact like and brady has like these amazingly beautiful eyes Mm -hmm. and she like focuses on them a lot right and and so much of what uh i was i was taken by were just those quiet moments when he's not really like um interacting with other people you know he's kind of in his own thoughts or even his the time spent with his horses um mm-hmm. 
that really kind of caught me. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think for me, we keep talking about like this aha kind of like uh, um, pivot point, right? These trigger moments that, yeah. you know, really sell uh, a, a slice of life kind of naturalistic film like this to you. And for me, it was the point in time where he starts training horses again. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and I thought to myself, like, there's no there there's no way to get that on film mm-hmm. unless he's a real horse trainer, right? Like you can train an actor all you want, and you can train a horse all you want, right? Mm. But you're never gonna get that kind of uh bonding and relationship building that happens on screen, you know. Yes. And then for in that moment I was just like, Okay, I totally like get why, you know, you you don't have like a professional actor doing this or a bigger name, you know, some some indie starlet like you know, like performing the role. Because mm-hmm. you can't capture that, right? Like that that it, it's not performance at that point anymore, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a literal translation from real life into the medium of film that yeah. is is unique in in that manner. And I was so like it was just like, how do you, you know, it, it, it's a moment of magic that requires so many things to fall into place at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Chloe Zhao, across the two films that we've been talking about, of hers that we're talking about, like consistently nails those time and time again. Whether it's with the editing that she does, and I, I believe she edited those... Uh, I, did she edit both? Yeah. Yeah. So like, she basically did all the work on her own, right? Um, pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, and and I, I, I just don't know how she does it. Like, it's just... It's just you know, like it, it, it's like myth makers weaving. Like she just weaves together these like in- incredible, magical impressions and vignettes of moments that becomes its own story as it layers on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the writer was just like, uh, I, I think is the epitome of that. I think a bit more so than Nomadland, just because mm-hmm. everything there uh, isn't isn't put on right like everybody there is at least a semblance or, or a real piece of themselves is portrayed within the film exactly exactly and and that's why i think the writer is by, by a very slim margin a stronger film than no matter although both are outstanding you know yeah like what's most miraculous about writer when i watched it a couple of years ago is just the jaw-dropping believability of everyone in its cast right? mm. everyone is a non-professional actor not just general yeah and, yep. and most of them are members of Jean Rao's family, yeah. uh, or, or his friends, or his neighbors, you know, and 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 Jean Rao himself. It's such an absolute movie star, or at least he's framed that way. And and, <laughs> and, 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 and Zhao is able to evoke the most from you know his, like his soulful eyes, his reserved intensity. You know, he, mm. he draws the audience into his heartbreaking, um, emotional journey. You know, um, yeah. and and the writer is in many ways like. I think I would have been upset if someone else played Brady because I think the writer is Jan Rao's story to tell. Exactly, uh, yes. And, and he relives every moment of his terrible time in his life, you know, with an unbelievable stoicism paired with a psychological depth that you can read into it, you know. Mm. Like, he, he is a young man who's raised in the tradition of, of the horse rider, growing up in a culture that prides itself on, on, on masculinity, uh, yeah. pride in connection to nature uh, and the brotherhood of man, you know. Without that, He's nothing, and 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 Jandra instinctively conveys the anguish of that realization in ways that cut deeper than a than a put on performance, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps it runs in the family, uh, because the other Jandraos and and those around them do as much to bring these scenes to life, you know. Um, so much about the American Western are 
portraits of masculinity. Yeah. Uh, and in Chloe Zhao's lyrical docudrama here in The Rider, you know, that blends fat and fiction uh, together, this is a, a look at American West masculinity in a way that is uh, rarely covered because it's not sexy and because yeah. it's perhaps dramatic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what makes it wholly new, unique, like in the same way that, like you know, perhaps um, "Hello High Water" is unique, or or uh, what's the other Western thing? "Brokeback Mountain," you know, like different portraits of the American West masculinity, like that. That's not just the the gritty, uh, stoic uh, Clint Eastwood type in, mm-hmm. in the in, in your usual westerns, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, though, you know, like in in a in a couple of months, I will be talking about traditional westerns. So, I, so like, you know, no hate on the genre. No, no, but no, no, no. It, it, it's it's just like nice to see a refreshing change of pace from from that kind of things. I I think it's always like the the genre itself will always benefit from having the fringe voices be be more heard, right? Yeah. Like like it fills out all these all these spaces. Um, at, at least for for me, right, and and for for you, like it helps us kind of like understand a more well rounded perspective of of the stories that fill that genre. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, but I mean, looking forward to the looking forward to the Western episode. Uh, yeah, there should be quite quite fun. Yeah, I mean, the story of Reedy is just incredible. It's inspiring, uh, yeah. but it's also heartbreaking. Um, you know. So much of him reminds me of um extreme sports athletes oh. or, or boxers or MMA fighters, guys who just like can't accept that their body is broken because there's a genuine passion for what they're doing, right? You know? Yeah. Um and it takes uh, I think um I haven't seen this movie in like three years, but I think it takes his friend who is injured even worse than he is. Um exact Sorry. same injury. I mean like exact same mode of injury, but like he he's paraplegic now. Yes, you know, and that that shows him that it could have been so much worse, and it could still be so much worse if he decides to go back at it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't have to abandon horses. There, there are a lot more tranquil ways to be in touch with nature, to be to be part of a cowboy community, yeah. rather than you know risking risking another traumatic head injury, you know. And I I can say that also for a bunch of BMX riders or motocross people or MMA fighters or or that insane dude from Free Solo, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like, what a great, great portrait of like someone who relies on your body. It's it's second nature to them, but your body betrays you. It's broken. Yeah, like I think another film film could have could have turned Brady Brady into something heavy handed, something kind of corny. Yeah, uh, sure. you know, but 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 this doesn't. Yeah, I think the temptation for characters like that, or in stories like this, rather, is to kind of like create a tragic hero, right? Um, yeah. you know, where whereby they're aware of their flaws and all of that, but in the end they always lean into it, which is why I feel like the ending of this movie is so important. Um, yes. because of the, the 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 ultimate choice that he makes here ultimately like um is what makes the story real, right? Like at that point in time, if, if this were like your de facto like Hollywood film, right? <laughs> if twenty years down the road they're like, Oh, you know what, we're gonna do a remake, we're gonna cast um fucking a DH Christian Bale, right? <laughs> Some shit like that, right? They would have, I mean, like, the ending that we got wouldn't be the ending um, that I think most mainstream audiences will want, you yeah. know, because, like, it doesn't build onto the myth of, of that kind of, like, tragic hero. Um, mm. It is, ama- I, I think, personally, a lot of the time, like, the bittersweetness of this is the moments when he is in the process of becoming... Uh, of accepting the fact that he will no longer be 
a cowboy, mm. right? Like uh, when he's teaching uh, the the young understudy, for example, uh, you know, um, and and all all like kind of these fringe things when people approach him in the grocery store and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. that process is so visible in such a subtle way, you know. Mm. That I think for the audience, you don't you are not surprised by his decision in the end, right? Yeah. Um, and, and like, I love that. It, it's such a rare thing to be able to see and track and mm-hmm. come to terms with as the audience, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to him, you know, like, like going for one last ride and breaking his neck. Um, yeah, so like, so much to love about this film. I mean, yeah. I totally understand um, having seen kind of both films, uh, both this and No Man Land Back to Back, Why Francis McDormand, came to Chloe Chow after watching The Rider um, mm-hmm. to, to work on Nomadland together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it, it just makes sense, right? Like a story like this and the story like The Rider with all its amazing, uh, all the amazing components that are in that and the performances that, that, is, that Chloe man- manages to capture is just uh, mind-blowing. And, and, and it is no surprise that Nomadland is as good as it is and yeah. has received as much acclaim as it has. Yeah, yeah. Both The Rider and Nomadland, um, it fascinates me because this is coming from an outsider and yet she captures a slice of um, Amer- the American landscape, Americana, the myth of Americana, yeah. right? You know? yeah. and, and doesn't just romanticize it, although to a certain extent cinematography does uh, encapsulate <laughs> the, the beauty of it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it shows you the truth behind the myths, you know, what real people are dealing with in their real lives. You know? mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's not all, you know, like you see in the movies and, and that's really what I love about Chloe Zhao like the, the absolute lack of artifice in everything she does I mean of, of course with the exception of her next film yeah it, it makes it so perfect the reason I felt like I loved The Rider before more than Nomadland is because I think I caught it before yeah um, to me like like I already kind of knew the, what I was in for with Nomadland yeah. So I wasn't as like wowed by it as most people who come into Nomadland not knowing Chloe Zhao's uh, filmography, you know. And I was just like, yeah, I've seen this before. And I've actually seen it done a little better. But mm-hmm. yeah, still, both are great. You know? mm, yeah, yeah. I, I made, uh, specifically chose to watch The Rider first um, mm. because you were telling me that like, okay, your personal preference is, is The Rider, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought like it makes sense to go chronologically. You know, yeah. I, I really wonder what my opinion would have been if I had gone the other way around. Mm. Um, there is, uh, I, I, I really, man, I wish I had the time to, to watch her first film I, I, and just kind of like see the trajectory of her career. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I totally get what you mean with the writer. There is just something, uh, I, it, it is, it is a, a, it is a much more fine distillation of her style, I feel, yes. than yes. Nomadland, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is kind of the moment in time within her career where you can point to and say, like, yeah, this is it, right? Like, this is this is what's going to be, you know, what she's going to be known for. And then Nomadland just proves that on a much bigger spa- uh, stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I really do, like, these are two fantastic films. Nomadland deserves all the the praise that it's getting, uh, but the writer is uh, much like the film itself, like is a quiet kind of like celebration and contemplation of of um, mm-hmm. of success and loss in a very small part of America, and like that's special, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, indeed, you know. 
and and kind of similar to the rider and Clo Madland and Chloe Zhao's uh, <laughs> filmography uh, the next two films as well are kind of very compassionate uh fly on the wall child's eye view of of uh people living on the margins you know um mm. i think the the greatest strength of of films such as this slice of life films is to bring you into uh the lives of people that you never think about the hidden underclass you know yeah. uh you know the injured cowboy a nomad um people homeless people, people living on the street, shoplifters or, or whatever, you know. Uh, and with The Florida Project in particular, directed by Sean Baker, you know, it's, again, another, like, subversive chronicle of America's hidden underclass. And mm-hmm. and I think no film puts Sean Baker's empathetic eye and his, uh, you know, his country's improvised fringes into sharper focus than this slice-of-life masterpiece. Um, he had previously done a, a, another one called Tangerine, which is also very good, you know, but I love this one a, a bit more, you know. It's set in a shabby, uh, lavender-painted motel tucked <laughs> just a few miles away from Disney World, you know. Yeah. Um, and the Florida Project, it paints a vivid portrait of a marginalized community trying to get by in the looming shadow of like this garish fantasy of the American dream, which is Disney World, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and although the, the motel is meant for tourists on a budget, in, in real life, as is in this film, the majority of its guests are actually low-income transients um, who are just in desperate need for rules over their heads, living from week to week, from paycheck to paycheck, you know. Yeah. Uh, this side of homelessness, much like, it, like, much like the nomads, you know, is something that you never see on the news because they're not homeless in the traditional sense. Yeah. And, and the shocking reality of the situation can be sobering, you know. But unlike, I think, other filmmakers who sometimes emotionally condescend in their depiction of poverty, mm-hmm. um, some people call it poverty porn, um, Baker refuses to manipulate you into pity or blame, you know. Instead, his kind of vertical approach immerses you into the summertime misadventures of the children um, who live there and who invent games and run amok uh, through rundown parking lots and abandoned condos, you know. Like, it, it totally eschews the, the three-act narrative structure and it plays out as a kind of a series of marvelous sketches, yeah. you know, re- rejoicing in the innocent playfulness of kids who are just concerned with the joy of being alive, you know. And it's led by the devilishly cute uh, six-year-old Mooney, uh, played <laughs> wonderfully by the precocious Brooklyn Price. Yeah. Um, these kids are mischievous, fearless, you know, often defiantly breathy, but, you know, but they find never-ending enchantment with the barest of means. And, and it brings me back to, to when I was a kid, you know, like, you didn't know what luxury was, whatever, you know, like, yeah. like the world the world was as it was, and you, you find ways to have fun, regardless of, what it is, you know. And this film is a bit like The Little Rascals meets like Francis Truffaut's um, The 400 Blows, you know. It lets you experience the rapture and wonder through the capers of Mooney's friends. But at the same time, Baker is nimble enough to punctuate each instance of childhood delight with glimpses of their parents' um, harsh existence, mm-hmm. you know, displaying particular emphasis on Haley, uh, who's played by uh, Bria Vinet, uh, who also a non-actor yeah. uh, who, who Baker discovered on Instagram, you know, um, she is a Mooney, petulant, carefree, kind of morally questionable mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like this mess of contradictions. She's loving and fiercely protective, yet kind of shockingly negligent of responsibility sometimes. Yeah. And, 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 and while it may be tempting to, I guess, simplify her as an unfit parent, I think the film's compassionate portrait of her and others as complete 
complete human beings, kind of offers no judgment, only insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's heartbreaking desperation there, but there's also warm ebullience. And, and, uh, and they're all vital parts of the same experience, you know, and it's such a graceful balance that makes the Florida Project so richly engaging, in my view, you know. Um, you recently caught the Florida Project as well. Uh, what do you think of it? Yeah, so I, I, I was really excited because you've been harping on the Florida Project for like years now. Yeah, a long uh, time. Yeah, it made your list... Um, in, in 2017, did it not? Yeah, it did. It was in my top three. Yeah, so you've been telling me to, to watch it for a while now. Uh, and yeah. I finally kind of like drummed up a reason to go and get that. Oh, I, I really, really love this. Uh, I really love the Foe's character here. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. of his characters so far. He won an Oscar for it, I think. Y- did he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, su- supporting actor. Supporting actor. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, uh, Brooklyn Prince is such a precocious like treasure uh, mm-hmm. here you know and like the the story all in all it is <clears throat> it is amazing um i think especially the the the, the through line kind of like like between for the project and shop litters that we're going to talk about later is um yeah. the, the kids right like and and just um how much of you know the magic of of childhood uh Perseveres despite um, the the harsh reality of the adult world, like the surrounds mm-hmm. them, you know. And and it, I think the Florida Project, I think the way that Sean Baker has especially like focused on the kids and the kind of like world that they they build for themselves, right? Uh, in in contrast to you know Disney's grand vast uh, machinery, um, yeah, really really does. It is extremely nostalgic, like you mentioned, right? Like it reminds me a lot of my childhood. Not that I was exactly a kampong boy or anything, um, yeah. Per se, but you know, there is so much. Uh, there is so much to to say about the imagination and about the optimism of being a child, mm-hmm. right? And and the innocence of that that is magical and continues to be magical up till the point where by the adult world says no. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that is so painstakingly captured here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the con- when the consequences of their play eventually kind of catches up with them, and and the consequences of their their parents' choices catches up with them, um, as well. That is incredibly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just like it, it's I I don't know if I would watch this again. Right. Mm. Like it is it is so good. It is so heartbreaking, but I don't know if I will watch it again because it's a lot to kind of like sit through. Uh, yeah. and, and I think a similar thing can be said for shoplifters as well, but in a, in a wholly different way. Definitely, um, definitely. So like, not what I was expecting, I think. Um, just like kind of like looking at, 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 you know, the way they described and all of that. Uh, it is a lot more, the, the human drama here is a lot more central than I thought it would be, right? Like, there is no grand kind of, like, um, uh, soapboxing about, like, oh, you know, the evils of, like, you know, corporate America and, and you know, the entertainment giant that is Disney and all of that. There's none of yeah. that, right? Like, it very simply takes a, a look and a snapshot of a place that, because of its proximity, makes the stories within it so much more salient and um, yeah. ju- juxtaposed to that kind of magic that 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 is is created right um, yeah by Disney 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely. so good. It, it says so much without having having to say anything about that particular contrast at all. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's not beaten over your head, you know? Um, and, and to your point, you know, like, most of this film is kind of made up of, like, a sea of, like, uh, brilliant but very raw uh, mm. newcomers. Yeah. Uh, and, and the only face that you recognize is Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Uh, and, and he himself also gives, you know, one of the finest performances of his long and storied career, you know? Like, he plays the generous motel manager, Bobby, yeah. who runs the establishment, like, you know, a bit like the de facto mayor, yeah. uh, and also like an exhausted father. Yeah. Um, his kindness means that his job extends far beyond general upkeep, you know, and, and Bobby's Unassuming decency is is often the I think the brightest spot of adult optimism here yes. in a film like that is just filled with adult pessimism. Um, I think it's the finely observed details of the Florida's projects, you know, like its bustling and vibrant community. It's it's kind of an intimate cinematic miracle, you know. It's mm. it's it's this amazing purple colored motel glowing in the humid Florida air and and I can I just say like the coloring in this film is amazing it like is. whatever whatever filter is they used it just makes it look so magical it is like I, I don't yeah, I, it, it, it's kind of crazy right like they do talk about the pain like in the beginning of the film and yeah. in my mind I'm just like oh my god seriously all of that but it plays into um in, in, into the magic of the children's like like worldview, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just that um you know there's the color of future land right next door. There's the mm-hmm. color of of the houses, the abandoned houses that they kind of go and play in, you know um uh, that that has like this incredible like haunted house kind of like vibe inside. Yeah, you know, and, and it's just uh it it's such a subtle kind of way to weave in visually, you know, the kind of like um. Uh, magic, I guess, like you know, to to make you feel like it's a lot more whimsical than the actual reality of the situation is. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah, Florida Project is amazing. Uh, I definitely encourage you all to to watch it if you can. You know, I think it recently was playing uh once again uh on the projector. They they I think once every few months they always like keep airing this film. I think they love it as much as I do. Uh, so yeah, you should definitely check this out. This is, I think, one of A24's like, lesser-known gems. Uh, but, I mean, to be fair, like the entire filmography of is it's stellar. fucking madness. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's madness. Like, There's not, not a single miss in that. You know? Yeah, uh, go check out The Florida Project. And a much, much similar movie happening over in Japan mm-hmm. uh, di- directed by uh, Hirokazu uh, Koreeda is... is um, follows a, a, a family of shoplifters running petty scams. You know, it's kind of a, a modern-day uh, twist of on Oliver Twist. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, you know, uh, it, it displays poverty without falling into the trap of uh, being poverty porn, you know. So this family uh, of, of uh, very poor shoplifters, uh, after one of their shoplifting sessions, um, you know, the, the father figure, Osamu, and his son uh, come across a little gold in the, in the freezing cold. Uh, so at first, they are reluctant to shelter the girl uh, and Osamu's wife agrees to take care of her after learning of the hardship that she faces. You know? mm-hmm. um, so although the, the family is dead poor, barely making enough money to, to survive, uh, and, and, and their crimes are petty. You know? these, are, these are not like Ocean Eleven type heists. You know? they, yeah. they, they are shoplifters. They are, they are petty criminals. And, and, but yet, they seem to live happily together um, until an unforeseen incident uh, reveals a hidden secret that I did not expect, mm. um, and it kind of tests the found family, uh, the, the bonds that, that unite them. You know, yeah. um, 
watching it shot with this for the first time, uh, what, what, what do you think of it? Uh, I okay. Shoplifters has this very um, it it falls into the a very particular category of Japanese film. I feel mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. like that there, there, uh, there is a fascinating kind of look into again, right? The fringes of, of of kind of like society that is so far away from you know what you would understand to be polite Japanese society with the, of which the majority, you know, you have your salary men and all of that and your housewives and stuff. Um, but what a, it's an amazingly beautiful story about found family and just like the negotiation of human relationships between strangers that um, in the face of immense struggle, right, and poverty and just kind of like making the best of what you can uh, from here. Again, like I feel much like Florida Project, the performances of the kids are just like amazing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of can, like carry through the entire thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the twist in the story completely caught me off guard. I, I think mm-hmm. like uh, as we move into the third act of the film, there's so many things that I did not expect it to be. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel like they, they, it's not an immediate the obvious setup from any portion from from the first two acts, and mm. like for it to unfold that way is kind of nuts, right? Yeah. Like you, it, it it starts off with like okay, you know, they're struggling to get by, but they have kind of like a happy life. You kind of like a uh, uh, grudging and kind of acceptance of this like ragtag group of people from all kind of different walks of life, uh, with their own like tragic kind of backstories and things like that of which mm-hmm. we are not uh, privy to until so much later right mm-hmm. uh, but for the revelations to kind of unfold in that way uh, is really just uh, it, like there's so many secrets that are being kept from other people right mm-hmm. and in that way this little group of found family is so much more like a family than any of the other families that are portrayed in the film itself uh, yeah, that it is. It is both at once tender, but yet uh, so heartbreaking to mm-hmm. to see that contrast, you know. And uh, on top of that, the fact that the story is about, you know, um, make, making ends meet and and living in kind of like this dire poverty, whereby like shoplifting is the only way for you to get the amenities that you need, right? The basic necessities that we take for granted mm-hmm. uh, is is. Uh, a, a bit much emotionally, I will say. Like it, it, it really mm. is. <clears throat> it really hits you in all these spots where it gives you so much of that, that, that brand of like human uh, empathy and and kindness in the face of all of these things. Uh, that for it to unfold in the way that it did in the third act, right? It's just it's absolutely devastating. I have to say, like mm-hmm. just the way it unfolds, the in the way that you know they, they kind of like. Uh, reveal all the the secrets that are being kept and all of that, and and um, having to see the characters of whom these secrets were kept from, right? Uh, I, I think yeah. like Aki in particular, uh, Aki's character in particular, when she finds out that her found grandma is actually her grandma, yeah, uh, uh, I was kind of blown by that, right? Like not just the revelation of that itself, but the revelation to her and her response to that was mm. just like mind blowing that few scenes was really quite something yeah you know at, at first like when i watched it i i i thought like you know much like the Florida project it's kind of just like small film 
uh, that is a parable about happy and unhappy families. You know yeah. what makes a conventional family uh, so much better than a found family. Um, you know, and it's just studded with memorable characters and believable performances. You know that like quietly lead you. Uh, lead the viewer uh, to reflect on societal values, much like the 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 Florida project. You know? Yeah, like this tender ensemble piece, skillful performances. It just dovetails dovetails into a perfect like symphonic whole. Uh, so emotionally delicate, uh, and so modest in its ambition. You know, mm, yeah, that like when the twist hits, you're barely prepared for when <laughs> the full the the full force of the darkness you know that comes in, and it suddenly knocks you. Yeah, Side, sideways, you know, like all the clues though have been there all along, uh, but it was not that kind of movie or that kind of show where, like, you know, you know, like a lot of like murder mysteries, or whatever. I'm looking out for the clues, right? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, so like, I'm to- I was totally unprepared for how dark the story got, at, but yet, you know, like, kind of thanks to the to the characterizations, to the performances, it brims with so much humanity yeah. that none none of the revelations, right, change your fondness. Or sympathy for the protagonist. In fact, you may even care for them more, um, and you might even hold off judging what they've done. Yeah. Um, and there's also like this like sharp critique of labor conditions, which are not unique to Japan. No. Um, that yeah. is epitomized by like they they talked about this new initiative called Workshare, right? So yeah. basically, workers are asked to alternate uh, on half day shifts so that they're paid less. Uh, the result is in Osamu's words, you know, everyone gets a little bit poorer by the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Osamu quibbles, uh, stealing becomes the family subversive form of work shell, as they call it, you know. But <laughs> like uh, as the story progresses, right, the, the the theft doesn't just involve taking money, it's it's a defining act of existence in an emotionally deprived world, you know. Um, yep. it's so good. It's so good. Um it's it's very similar to the Florida Project in that it is a child's eye view of a hidden uh, underclass, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're poor. They're kind of homeless. Uh, similar to that, like, but unlike the other three films, um, the third act is a bit more narrative driven. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't make this a a, a fully uh, slice of life film, but for two thirds of it, it is. Mm, yeah. I I mean it it I feel like that is a very kind of like Japanese thing. I feel. In, oh, like, the, the big twist at the end. The yeah. big twist at the end, like the third act, you know, I, let me present to you a slice of life naturalistic thing, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of like amp it up at the at the end of that. Mm. It is a very, very like kind of big part of, of Japanese cinema, um, or even anime for that matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you're absolutely right. I, I think at no point in time did I feel... Um, that, that the the actual like shoplifting itself was was a big deal, right? Like at no point yep. in time, like it is a, a a fact that if they don't do that, it's going life is going to be that much harder, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, like uh, Shota's entire kind of like acceptance of the fact uh, that that um, what is it that Osamu says that basically like if it hasn't been bought yet, it doesn't belong to anyone. Therefore, we can. <laughs> Right? right, like right. Uh, such a fucked up philosophy, right? Like absolutely, yeah. that that isn't true, but mm-hmm. it is so true <laughs> at the same time, uh, right? And for for the entire kind of story to hinge upon his belief in that truth, quote unquote, um, of 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 what his life is kind of built on, right? Like that, the way that it unfolds just makes it like so crazy. Like he makes decisions there, um. Uh, that I think are way beyond uh, morally or ethically what a child of his age should be forced to choose. 
you know, yeah. and and that has consequences that are far wider and more impactful than he could possibly imagine. Like that entire choice sets off the rest of the the last third, uh, the third act itself, and mm. it's just kind of mind blowing how that they weaved all of that into this very kind of like short third act. Um, it is so good. It is so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to to grandma. Uh, yeah, uh, highlight uh, of the film. Yeah. Highlight of the film, by far my favorite character. Um, also, I believe this was one of uh, um, what's her name, Kirin Kiki's last films before she passed yes. away. Correct. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Um, yeah, I think like all around, they such amazing performances mm-hmm. um, uh, within the family itself, and even by the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just fascinating stuff. I, I it, mm. the dialogue really kind of caught me right like in these empty spaces between like trying to survive where they have like these one-on-one conversations that feels so banal but at the same time are absolutely fascinating right because you are so focused on the fact that this is a family in poverty trying to survive mm-hmm. that you forget sometimes that uh very human and strange conversations take place within that world as well right mm-hmm. and and I think like that's kind of important especially for the films that we've uh, the four films we've been talking about today, you know, mm-hmm. some of it as uh, um, we we are looking into an outsider's kind of world in these yep. like very very small things, or even here when we're looking uh, through that lens of kids um, in in difficult circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. That um, it 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 is far. It's not as much poverty porn because yep. you get to see the fact that these people are still human. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and I think that's extremely important. And for me, a lot of those moments is, are what make uh, shoplifters and and um, Florida Project like extremely well done. Right, it, the fact that at the end of the day, you get to see that people are people regardless of the circumstances that they are in. Right, there's a normalcy or, or mm-hmm. a need for normalcy despite um, difficult circumstances and and the choices that they make and the consequences that they're after. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. Uh, I yeah. Completely taken by this, shoplifters was really quite, um, I think an eye-opening thing. Like I, I, I wasn't familiar with uh, any of the actors here. Mm, um, similar, yeah, or, or even um, oh my, I don't want to. I even the director's work, like this, is my first work that I've seen from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like really, really solid stuff, and it's it's so strange. It's like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For you to have picked both Florida Project and Shoplifters at the same time, like thematically and just how well they fit together as discussion points, it's kind of. I crazy. I just subconsciously thought about it without intellectually thinking about it. Like yeah. o- only only when like I I fired up Zencaster, I was like, hey, they're kind of, sim- <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of similar, huh? Yeah. Like, but but like I just felt they belong together without knowing why. But like I yeah la, But it's true lah. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really, really you know. Does. Like Shoplifters presents its characters in such a humanizing fashion, right? Yeah. I don't even question the kidnapping. No, like, it's, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, if know, I were in their shoes, I would have done the exact same thing, right? Like their their concerns that it's kidnapping are absolutely valid, but mm-hmm. I don't care. I absolutely mm-hmm. do not care, right? Because it, I, I think, regardless of the situation your life is in, that decision is justified. Right, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, if, if I mean, like, it, it's kind of a decision, a kind of a passive decision to let her stay, you know, rather than like the active decision to return her. Sure, by all means, but you know, mm-hmm. 
again, with the shoplifting, with the kidnapping, with all of like, even, you know, the, the burying and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I understand, right? I understand <laughs> why it is done, right? In most yeah. circumstances, you know, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't be so, so kind, uh, look as kindly on those situations, but I understand. And yeah. that is like, yeah, I, I, I think that really kind of like the way that the, the, the film is, is framed, you know, really helps you to kind of like, and it's not, there's so much gray area when it comes to that, right? Like yeah. in, any, in any other story, in any other social strata, if a story like this would have taken place, I, I would have felt differently for sure. Yeah, like, like that's the importance of all four of his films. You know, it's it's to immerse you into someone else's shoes. Yeah. Um, to let you gain some measure of understanding and empathy yeah. and compassion for people you never think about. You know, you don't tend to think about or have sympathy for the masculine conservative cowboy yeah. uh, out in the American West. You know, or you don't think about homeless people, whether they're in RVs or whether they're in motels, uh, and you don't think about, you know, um, petty shoplifters who, who steal stuff. Uh, in fact, you, you are more likely to judge them. Yeah. Um, I don't blame you. Uh, it's easy to categorize groups of people. But I think this, these films show you that you shouldn't. Everyone is a human being. Mm -hmm. and, and before you dare to judge them, perhaps maybe think a little bit about what their circumstances are lah, and why they are the way they are yeah. and why they choose to do the things they do, you know, uh, and, and why they make the mistakes they make and, and stuff like that, you know, like uh, with um, the mom and Freudian Project, for example, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing. Lah. Uh, and not, not everyone is, can be ascribed to the narrative of like who's a protagonist and who's an antagonist, uh, mm. that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, um, yeah th this is why I love like, slice of life films it reminds me a lot of you know um books i read you know like um uh pachinko for example and, and things like that there's a certain, yeah. there's a certain like novelistic uh, uh approach uh, into the deep dive of like everyday life mm. that you don't find in plot driven things because plot driven things needs to focus on the plot yeah and how everything intertwines together and you know no, no this on that like that has its own value you know but this also has a, its own value and I, I think it's a shame that i think more mainstream audiences are perhaps unwilling to give this a chance because i think if you have less a little bit of patience yeah uh you can uh i ended up shop with this because i feel that shoplifters is the perfect gateway into getting the other into getting to the other film yeah for sure i, I think like it strikes a very neat kind of balance between something that becomes plot driven at the end in a in a very interesting way you yeah. know um, but kind of like capturing you with the magic of seeing things as they are um mm -hmm. yeah I, I totally agree with you i think okay just to your point mm. about why a, a lot of mainstream audiences may not necessarily like this it is it is hard i think sometimes okay I like to think of it as an analogy between like like real life and what you do every day and your Instagram kind of highlight reel, right? Like it's the same mm. kind of concept, right? When we go and watch a movie, we want to see the highlights of that, right? We want to see the hero go through his trials, meet the guardian, blah, 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 blah. You know, all seven stages of that, right? Um, you know, and, and to see him triumphant in the end because that is a vast contrast to, you know, what our everyday lives kind of look like, right? It's the, it's the highlight reel. Um, it is much more difficult to sit down and watch something that hits very, very close to home to learn something from that. Mm -hmm. um, because so much of cinema is about escapism, 
right? Yes. Like the cinema yeah. industry today is about escapism. It is why MCU and Disney and all the franchises that are coming out from there are what mm. they are right now, you know? Mm. Um, because, yeah, I mean, that is the nature of entertainment in this day and age, right? But cinema mm. to educate, cinema mm. to broaden minds, right? A lot of the time, it falls into the category of films that we, we've seen today, you mm. know, and, and all the documentaries that we've seen uh, and, and discussed about as well. I think it, like, it's a lot more difficult to find time to see mm. something that you think reflects your own life a lot more, mm. to find understanding and all of that. And I, 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 um, to, you, to those of you guys listening, I don't mean in like a judgy or preachy way, yeah. right? Like it doesn't mean that I enjoy these films. Therefore, you know, you know, I am I'm better or, or anything of the sort. I just think that it's understandable that uh, these don't get as much you know, hype or uh, not watched as much or not um, enjoyed as much just simply because like that's kind of what we want, right? We want mm. our stories by and large to be fantastical, to be a, a form of escape. Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean like it's always good to have a balance with that. You you, you know, it is its own mm. kind of catharsis. Um, mm. Films like these are their own kind of catharsis and you're, mm. I think people are missing out if they don't at least give it a chance. Oh, 100%, you know, like, um, to your point, like, in, in, the, in the second half of the year, I was thinking about doing, like, some of, uh, like, Netflix's best nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this future episode, which is months down the line, um, I wanted to talk about, about why people are so attracted to, like, garbage documentaries. Oh, my God. Are we, are we talking specifically about Seaspiracy? Uh, yeah, well, well, that's the thing that inspired it. Like, but I mean, the, the documentaries we talk, we'll be talking about are, are good ones, like, like intellectually <laughs> rigorous, uh, well-researched kind of stuff, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you think about like what is number one uh, last year uh, on, on Netflix, which is Tiger King, yeah. some se- se- sensationalistic piece of trash, then you have Seaspiracy, uh, <laughs> um, which barely does any research into the things that it's uh, proposing. Yeah. Um, you know, like, why are people attracted to this? And, and, Seaspiracy offers you a kind of like, oh, a false measure of hope that if you do this and this and that, like you can change this industry and yeah. save the world and the animals. And Tiger King offers you uh, an escape from the reality of the fucking murders <laughs> that happen. You know, like, and you, you fail to um, uh, think about the prison industrial complex. You, think, you fail to think about the American justice system and how it plays into those things, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's so frustrating that there are actually good documentaries out on Netflix and yet people choose to watch this kind of thing. Ah, but I mean, like, these things are fed to us, right? Algorithmically? Correct. Yeah. I, immediately, like, I have absolutely not anything watched anything remotely close to conspiracy on my Netflix. Right, mm. the majority of the stuff is like yeah, you know, blockbuster films, anime, animation, uh, you know, indie house films. Yeah, sure, but I get fed that anyway. Right, what was the yeah. other kind of like pro vegan sports thing that we got a couple of years back on Netflix as well? And then it mm. turned out that the that the producers, the people who bankrolled the film, basically owned the comp, um, owned like this vegan sports supplements company. Right, right, right. Yeah, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, right? Like, we're fed that because it's sensationalist rubbish, right? But it yeah. makes a lot of money and it makes a lot of waves. Mm. Uh, and, and, that, and because of that, we get fed it anyway, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I totally uh, understand that. Like, wow, there's, there's actually a lot to kind of dig into, into, into in terms of like the human psyche and how we feed off that kind of like media coverage and and the simplification mm-hmm. of like very very complex problems uh, that mm. we face in the world today 
yeah, I mean, we, we could yeah. go for hours on just talking about that. But I'm I'm definitely down. Um, I haven't mm. watched... Uh, outside of the documentaries that we covered recently for Behold, I haven't actually watched mm. any, any kind of like solid documentaries recently. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, probably in August or September when, when I've run through, you know, we have like already like a slate plan. Like, but like, like coming in this year, like, we'll talk about Netflix nonfiction that is actually good, yep. that actually does research that, you know, <laughs> And, and 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 sometimes a lot of people like when they when they see stuff, stuff like 13 for something like Eva Duvernay's documentary it's like oh mm. so many numbers so much context why do I have to consider criminals as people why can't I just like you know have a little uh, why, why can't I just laugh at the absurdity of like Carol Baskins you know or something like that yeah anyways yeah like I've gotten <laughs> off topic but but we'll talk about it soon uh coming up next next week uh, is genre equality 41 mm. uh, where the main topic is the falcon and the winter soldier we'll also be talking about invincible infinity train yasuke mortal combat um amongst others um as well you know i'll be talking about joss whedon right at the end about how i kind of have to reevaluate my fandom of him uh and i'm going to tie that into a review of hbo's never which is joss whedon's uh latest show yeah uh of course you know we're going to be spending the bulk of the time on the falcon and the soldier which airs its finale this week mm. uh very excited for yes. that one of uh one of mcu's best uh offerings yeah and the, although like I, I i keep trying to Think, I, I keep thinking that it's like such a special show, but to be honest, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier has carried on from the real-world political thrillers of the Captain America films. It's yeah. of the same vibe, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's actually not so different or special, but it continues to blow my mind, you know? Yeah, it does. I, I think the format in which we're we are receiving it right now, right? Like, in yeah. and of itself, these six episodes that we're getting, it's its own movie within that mini franchise within the, the greater MCU. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so good. It is so good. Mm-hmm. Um... It has everything that we expected of it and more, and I think I, I can't really kind of like discuss like the finer points of that um, two weeks from now. Definitely, man. Like uh, this is not the type of show like Wonder Vision where people are making like um, you know like uh, guesses <laughs> like who who is Mephisto? You know, yeah, kind of yeah. Uh, the the Mephisto watch absolutely like burnt out on Wonder Vision. Uh, so I'm just gonna say that I think Sharon Carter is Mephisto. <laughs> no, she's a power breaker for, for sure. She's right? a power breaker for sure. Yeah, like hands <laughs> yeah. down. Uh, I I really want to see if they resolve that next episode because I don't mm. know if they will. Um, yeah. I um it, something about like it is not a mini series; it is a drama series. So mm. this is likely to continue on, which I'm more than happy for it to go. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I really yeah, love I mean, where where MCU TV is at the moment. It's it's very very solid. Of course, we got Modok coming next month. We got Loki coming the month after. We got Black Widow. We got Shang-Chi. We got Eternals. We got Spider-Man, No Way Home. All that coming in the next, let's see, eight months. You know, yep. I, I just I just listed like six or seven titles there. It's pretty insane. So I uh, can't, can't wait for it. Uh, till next time, guys. This has been Hit Zero. Uh, I'm Aisa. Goodbye. No.